Hello? Ooh. Okay. It's been a while since I've preached a whole sermon with a handheld, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. I was going to say that we did have a great weekend last week, and, um, but Dr. Beck used my earpiece, and so it was all whopper-jawed this morning. I thought that aesthetics would be the only issue, but we'll blame it on Dr. Beck, that he ruined my hand, headset, and uh, yeah, so all was good besides that, but all right, so... Good morning. <laughs> Kids, Children's Church, hopefully you got all that. Uh, and they're going to, what they're doing in Children's Church today, that's where I kind of stopped. The, they're, they're working on some songs they're going to sing for us tonight. And so uh, we hope that you'll come back tonight for all the other great reasons. And, and they'll, they'll serenade us in, in song tonight. And then we'll sing some Christmas carols as well. Uh, so we do hope that you'll come and, and be a part of that this evening. Uh, We're continuing this morning in our our series called The Search for a King. And so we are going to be in Matthew 2. Uh, If you were here with us a couple of weeks ago, we we started this. And we're going to read almost the same exact text this morning that we started with last week or a couple of weeks ago. So a couple of weeks ago, we started with Matthew 2, 1 through 8. Today, we're reading Matthew 2, 1 through 9. So we're making progress. (laughs) So Matthew 2... One through nine, you may have noticed a theme in some of our songs from this morning, uh, a theme of, of creation and, and stars and, and the, the ways that the creation declares God's glory. And so that's going to kind of be our focus this morning um, as, we, as we think about part of, of this text from Matthew 2. So Matthew 2, verse 1, let me run, read 1 through 9. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Okay, so actually through verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Uh, the star is, is commonplace in our Christmas decorations and, and kind of imagery. Uh, it shows up in, in visual expressions like this with the three kings. Uh, it, it is part of our nativity scenes. It shows up in many of those. It sits across uh, on top of our, our Christmas trees. Uh, not that star, other star, that star. Yeah, 
It is the week of the rise of Skywalker, so we'll just throw that in there. A few more days, just a few more days. Um, Advent has multiple meanings this year, so not really, just one. Um, But in, in many ways, at least for me, the star sort of just kind of stays there, almost in the background, uh, kind of nestled artistically and aesthetically amongst the Christmas decor without much more purpose or significance than that. Uh, again, at least that's how I kind of experience. Maybe you have a different connection uh, to or connotation for the star. I don't know. But either way, and and however you view it, in Matthew's telling of the story, the star takes on a a starring role, with the pun very much intended there. It has a prominent place in the story. The star is the driving force that alerts the Magi uh, to Jesus' birth. It's what alerts them that that something has happened that they've got to go check out. Uh, And then once they get there, it is basically their navigation system that leads them directly to where this child is. It is the driving force. Uh, The way that Matthew tells the story, the birth of Christ is, is literally illuminated by a star that rose at his birth. Uh, The, the tellings of, of Christ's birth are very different in Luke and Matthew. Those are the two gospels that we have accounts of his birth and, and they're very different in many different ways. Uh, so that the scripture that Jeff read for us this morning was, was part of the account in, in Luke. And in Luke, Jesus' birth is, is initially proclaimed by angels. And then later it is proclaimed in the temple by uh, a man named Simeon who is described as righteous and devout. And then by a prophet named Anna. And, and to me, I think that's how you would expect the, the, the proclamation of a Savior to be announced by angelic heavenly beings, by a, a, a righteous and godly man, by a prophet who, who worships so much that Luke tells us she never left the temple. She just worships all the time. Like these are the type of people that you would expect to announce this, this coming king and ruler of Israel. It's the type of group that you would expect to announce a grand event. It's the type of group that you would expect to go to for, for inspiration and, and guidance and, and direction. If you are searching for something, this is the group that you would expect to be able to go to for answers. But in Matthew, Jesus' birth is proclaimed by a star, which just seems kind of odd. Like, we kind of just accept it because it's part of our Christmas decor and it's always there. But it's kind of odd that this is the driving force of of proclaiming Christ's birth in the way that Matthew tells the story. Uh, Much has been written and, and theorized about the exact nature of of this star, and for that matter, much has been kind of made about who exactly these magi are. There are all kinds of theories and and thoughts around uh, those two kind of pieces of this story. Matthew leaves a lot of kind of gaps in the story that that allow some space for us to do some theorizing and uh, kind of guessing and interpreting and, and all that type of stuff. 
Uh, and so much has been made of, of kind of, so what was this star and, and who were these magi? And it's really, there's some interesting stuff out there that I really hadn't kind of gotten into a lot of, but apparently there's, a, there's been a lot of research that's been done. You can go back and kind of track star patterns and all that kind of stuff and celestial happenings and things like that. Uh, a lot of thought that there was kind of some rare celestial occurrence around this time uh, with kind of planets and um, constellations aligning and things like that, and maybe Jupiter and or Saturn had something to do with this, would, which would account perhaps for the, the, the idea that this star is moving, because planets would move in the sky, you know, from uh, over the course of time, whereas stars wouldn't, and so uh, maybe that's part of what's going on here. Uh, the Magi may, may very well be descendants um, of, of kind of part of Israel that's been scattered through exile and things like that. So maybe, maybe through someone like Daniel, uh, who ends up in, in kind of Persia, maybe these are descendants of Daniel. Maybe they're descendants of others who were exiled and then didn't come back to Jerusalem, which would sort of explain how they have some knowledge about this Jewish king who is supposed to be born uh, but regardless of that, because of the prophecies that existed in Israel's history, uh, these stories of this coming ruler who was going to rule over Israel spread throughout the known world. And so somehow these men from the east who are looking to the stars for kind of patterns and, and clues into what's going to happen on earth have this idea that, that something is happening that's alerting them to this coming king in Judea. Um, and again, you can Google some of that today. There's all kinds of stuff that's out there. If you've never gotten into any of that, it's, it's, uh, it's fairly interesting, at least I think. Um, but we're not going to spend a whole lot more time there this morning, in part because uh, Matthew himself doesn't seem too concerned with some of those details. <laughs> again, he leaves out a lot of that, which allows us to fill in the gaps. But also, I think it's worth knowing that he leaves out a lot of that. <laughs> um, and yet, he puts the star in this pivotal role in the story. And so I want us to consider why Matthew places the star and gives such a vital role to the star in the telling of Jesus' birth. Uh, and granted, we don't know the exact answer to any of that more than we know the answers to the nature of the star and the identity of the Magi. But I think there are some interesting and important aspects uh, that we can take note of uh, and then we can take from some of Matthew's writings that I think give us some insight uh, into how and why he tells the story this way, and that I think certainly have some implications for us. Uh, and so first of all, uh, Matthew, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Matthew is the most uh, kind of Jewish-centric of the four gospel accounts. Matthew is, is writing for primarily a, a Jewish audience. He's writing for, for Jewish believers uh, and so a lot of what Matthew is attempting to do, it seems from his writing, is to connect Jesus to Israel's past and Israel's story. And so there's a lot about Israel's prophecies. He's trying to connect Jesus to the prophecies of Israel, to the stories of Israel, to the people of Israel. Uh, it's why Matthew begins in a very boring way for us. Matthew 1 starts out with the genealogy of Jesus like, you know, he could have started with a really fun and creative way like John, but no, he starts out with this boring genealogy. Uh, and it's because for a Jewish audience, that would have been very important to connect Jesus all the way back to Abraham is very important for Matthew to show this is, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is what all our story up to this point has been about. 
Uh, and so a lot of Matthew is about connecting Jesus to Israel's past. And so readers of Matthew's account would have known of, of prophecies about Jesus, and they would have known about prophecies like this one that's in Numbers 24 that says, A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so most of them probably wouldn't have had a firm grasp of what that meant before Jesus. But now when Matthew writes about this star that's leading the Magi, the wise men, to Jesus, there are echoes of this prophecy uh, that I think Matthew wants, wants his readers to hear ringing in their ears. That Remember this, this star that was told about? There's a connection here to Jesus. This is, this is connecting parts of our, our story. Uh, but it wasn't just prophecy, though. As I said, it's, it's connecting story. It's connecting the story of Israel's past. And the star proclaiming Jesus' birth continues a thread that runs throughout Scripture of creation declaring the majesty and glory of God and communicating something about God to us as people. Uh, and so we heard this then in, in Psalm 19 that Zoe read for us this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read uh, a lot of that again. That, that psalm, Psalm 19, says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Uh, so in other words, creation is, is God's form of universal communication. That the stars, the oceans, the mountains, the wind, uh, the rivers, all of these things speak the same language, no matter what language we speak as people. They communicate the same thing to us across cultural and language divides. Uh, and, and so this is God's way, Scripture tells us, of, of Him communicating part of who He is to us as, as people. And part of, of a connection to nature, uh, part of what that produces then within David, is this admiration not only for God and all that God has done, but it produces within David this humility that comes out of this connection to nature and this realization of what God is doing uh, through nature. And so Psalm 8 David says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Uh, if you were with us last weekend, one of the things that Dr. Beck talked about on Saturday was this idea that, uh, that nature has this awe-inspiring component about it. Uh, most of us have probably experienced that in some way, that you've been out in, in some part of nature uh, and, and you've experienced kind of this sense of, of awe and, and just in, in awe of, of what stood before you in nature and creation. 
Uh, and so Dr. Beck talked about that as, as part of what creates this, this small self within us. And it's, it's part of what makes us feel small, not in a negative or self-loathing way, but in a way that makes us realize that we are a part of, of something greater than ourselves. We are this kind of small part in this greater whole, and, and, and we, we have a role to play in that, but that, that the world and the universe are much bigger than we are. And so it helps create this kind of healthy self-image. And, and again, uh, this quiet ego, if you were with us, that is language you may remember that I won't take a lot of time to kind of re-explain or go over. But, but if you listen to the audio, uh, the audio of that weekend is available on our website if you want to go and listen to it. But, but Dr. Beck talked about the importance of this quiet ego and small self. And that's exactly what David is talking about in this psalm. This idea that, that David, who, who realizes that the, the majesty uh, and glory of God is expressed in creation, has this response to it that's just humility and wonder and awe in the presence of God. Uh, so later on then, if you go past Matthew, uh, Paul picks up on this idea of creation giving evidence to God. Uh, he talks about it a couple of places in Romans, kind of vaguely in Romans 10, uh, but, but he, he hits it pretty directly in Romans 1 when he says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now, we're going to pause here for a second because I think this is one of those kind of stretches of verses that, especially if you have a long history in, in church or, or a long kind of connection to Scripture, this may be one of those sections of verses that you know well, that, that we hear read a lot, and, and then we kind of just skip over it because it's, we, can, we feel like we know what it says. Uh, but I want us to really pay attention to what Paul is saying. Paul is saying he's referencing people who have turned away from God even though God has made plain to them who he is. And, and listen to the ways that Paul says God has done that. What, what has God done that has made his power and his nature plain to people? And so here's what he says. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. This is what Paul says. Paul picks up on this thread that, that creation is speaking something to us about God. Um, and, and threads like this that run through Scripture are, are incredibly important to, uh, to notice because remember the Bible, like the Bible isn't written by one person who just sat down and said, I want to write the Bible, right? Like it's written by all these different people over the course of of. of generations of people coming from different parts of the world, different backgrounds, um, and, and, and it's all these people collecting this story to tell one comprehensive narrative of God's love with Jesus at the center of that. And so writers will oftentimes pick up on threads that, that writers before them have been kind of laying down to say this is, this is part of that story. And, and this idea of creation declaring God's majesty and, and, and revealing God's glory is one of those threads and so we find throughout Scripture, and I think we find in our own lives, that all of creation is, is offering praise to its maker and is proclaiming the glory and majesty of God. 
And uh, creation is, is offering wisdom and testimony on behalf of God if we allow ourselves to listen for it. And so sometimes, as in Luke's account, answers come from divine intervention or wise words from an elder or a prophet. But sometimes, as in Matthew's account, wisdom is spoken most clearly and deeply and with the most resonance by a night sky or a still lake, by the rhythm of crashing waves, by the symphony of crickets at night or the songs of birds in the morning. Nature has as wisdom and insight to share with us if we allow ourselves to be open to it. And I believe that, that Paul and David and the Magi and Matthew would all tell us that our own searches can never be fully traversed indoors, no matter how many resources we have at our disposal there. And, and I think this is especially important for us in our context because in the modern world, we spend a lot of time inside, uh, especially like when it's cold outside, right, or really hot, which is most of the time in Texas. It's either cold or hot, right? And we spend a lot of our time inside, and that's just not the way that we were wired to exist. We, we were not wired to spend this much time indoors. Uh, and so if you, if you just think about maybe, especially if you work inside, uh, the amount of time that you spend in, inside on an average day, it's a lot. Uh, studies have shown that people who, who kind of have a, you know, kind of typical working job spend as much as 22 hours a day inside. Uh, some people at a desk job may spend as little as 15 minutes outside a day. Uh, and so science is now telling us the effect that this has on us as, as people, uh, that the more time we spend outside, it, 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 it has positive effects on our physical health, on our mental health, our, our physiological health, our emotional health, all of these different things. And I think what that speaks to is that when we disconnect ourselves from nature and from creation, we disconnect ourselves from God in harmful ways, and, and we shut ourselves off from this primary way in which he is trying to communicate with us. Um, and I don't want to sound like the guy who's just saying we need to turn off our devices and go outside, right? Because that's kind of, we, we hear that message a lot, I feel like, in modern society. But I do think there's something to that. Um, that if, if God is attempting to communicate wisdom and, and the nature of, of his being to us through creation and nature, we're completely missing a way that he is trying to connect with us if we cut ourselves off to that part of the world. Uh, when I think about David writing those songs, uh, psalms, I think about how and where David spent most of his time. And before he goes to Saul's court, he was a shepherd, spending time outside in, in areas that I'm going to assume didn't have much cell coverage or, or Wi-Fi availability, right? Uh, and then even after that, after he's left kind of the you know, the, uh, the drabs of shepherdhood. He ends up spending a lot of his life on the run from Saul. He's hiding out in caves. He's out in the wilderness. He's outside. He's got plenty of time to contemplate uh, big questions with no Google to turn to, just staring up at the stars, thinking, contemplating, meditating. Uh, we talk about 
God speaking through his word, through his spirit, even through encouraging words from fellow believers. But the writers of scripture, and I think Matthew in his telling of the the birth of Christ, are telling us that, that there is this crucial element of communication within nature that we are missing out on if we are not listening for God in his creation. Um, when I was early on in my ministry career, I think I've told this story in some context here, but I don't think I've told it in a, in a sermon. But if I have, it works really well with the sermon, so just you can listen to it twice. <laughs> um, but early on in my ministry career, uh, I was a youth minister in Clifton, Texas, and I, I planned my first youth retreat as a, as a youth minister. And, and so we had this family at our church who had this ranch about 45 minutes outside of Clifton, it was out in the hill country in, in central Texas, and it was this beautiful ranch that it was one of those, those spaces you can go out there, and there's, there's just nothing around. And they had this, this hill, this kind of bluff-type thing uh, out kind of in the middle of nowhere on their ranch. And you could go up to the top of this hill, and you could just see for miles and miles around you with no buildings, no, no other man-made light, and it was just, it was beautiful. And so we had like this late night Devo up there uh, on one night of the retreat. And so we, we drive out there and, and we go up to the top of this, this hill and there's, we, we, we don't have any of our cell phones or anything. There's no headlights, no lights around us. It's just dark with this canopy of, of stars above us. And it was, it was beautiful. And so I had this, this life-changing Devo planned for our students, full of words of wisdom and insight and perspective that a fresh college grad, you know, has and, and is full of with. Uh, and so I was going to change these, these students' life th- this night, I was sure. And um, so I would go through all this Devo, and I've got all this stuff that I'm sharing with them and singing songs. And so at one point, we kind of have this pause, and uh, several of us are kind of gazing up at the, at the stars, and we see this huge shooting star. Go, go across the sky. And it was just like this affirming moment of this is where we're supposed to be, and this is great, and God's watching us, and Warren, you're such an amazing minister. You know, all those things, just like in this, this light of, of, of brightness across the sky. Uh, and so we finished our time there, and, and we go back down. Uh, the next day, then, we're, we're driving back to Clifton, and I've got some of the, the guys, some of the boys in our group in my car with me as we're driving back. And so uh, I asked the guys, I was like, so what was your favorite part of the weekend? And in my head, uh, prideful, kind of, you know, gung-ho Warren is thinking, uh, I'm, I'm wanting them to say something that I planned, some activity that I had planned for us to do, uh, some words of wisdom that, that made them consider their life in new ways, and, and now they're going to be forever different, you know, because of this, and, and all of these things going through my head. Um, just if I'm being honest, just prideful young Warren. <laughs> And so, uh, maybe not to that extent. It's hyperbole, but you get the idea. And so, the first uh, guy to, to speak up is a guy named Chance. And Chance says, for me, it was when we saw that star um, at our Devo. And so, he says, you know, it just it made me realize all these things. And he started talking, and I kind of stopped listening because I, I thought, my, my first thought was, yeah, that's great. But what about something that I planned? <laughs> What was something that I said or did that had a great impact on you is what I wanted to say. But luckily, I caught myself very quickly. It was like, no, that, that, that like completely misses the point of what we were trying to do here. Uh, what, what I wanted to happen there was, was to create a moment where they could experience God's love and purpose and power um, and, and have a 
a visceral connection with God and experience with God. Um, and, and that did it better than anything I could have ever done. And if I'm looking to be the one to provide that, then I'm looking to do it for my own, my own glory, not the glory of God. Um, and so it was this moment of really kind of pride check for me. Uh, because this is, I think, a, a, an important distinction between us and creation. Uh, that the things of creation are always going to live into their purpose and in doing so give glory um, and, and proclamation to God. That a star is going to be a star and is going to shine as a star until it burns out and is no longer a star. Uh, a mountain is always going to do mountain things, right? Mountains don't have midlife crises where they buy a motorcycle and kind of do all this, and who am I, right? A mountain is a mountain, and that's what it's going to do. Uh, a bird is going to be a bird. A river is going to be a river. And they do all of these things and live out their purpose fully well into the glory of God. And it's beautiful. Uh, but as people, we mess it up, Right? Um, we search for, for different things. We try to find our own path. Uh, or, or we cut our search short and, and kind of settle for cheap answers. Uh, we're overcome by greed or pride or selfishness. And, and we do things that cut us off from our purpose and living out the glory of God. But when you see something, when you see someone fully living out their purpose and fully being who God was created them to be, and, and living out their gifts, and, and doing what God has equipped them to be, you recognize it, and it's beautiful, and it gives glory to God. And you know those moments in your own life when that happens, maybe, maybe in seasons when you just feel totally connected to God, and you're just sure that you're on the right path, and, and you're headed in the right direction, and, and, and you're close with God, and you can feel Him, and, and you just know that in this moment, I'm, I am who I am meant to be, and I'm living it for the glory of God, and it's beautiful, and you can feel it. And in those moments, we reflect God's glory just as creation does, uh, because this is... This is the beautiful and, and at some level crazy plan that God has for us, that, that God has decided to make himself known to the world, not only through creation, but through us as people. That we as people are the image bearers of God. We as people are those who are supposed to carry on his, his ministry of reconciliation. We as people are those who are now supposed to reflect God's glory to those around us and to the world around us. Um, and what a huge task and responsibility that is. But, but how humbling that we have this opportunity to do that. Uh, in Philippians 2, Paul writes that when we humble ourselves and put the needs of others above our own, when we obey God and live in his will, when we do everything without grumbling or arguing, and when we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, or in other words, when we keep searching and pressing forward and discovering, when we do all of those things, Paul says, then you will shine like stars in the sky. You present this, this picture of, of who God is and, and what his, his desire is for you, not only as a person, but for his creation and for his world and for how he desires to be communicated in the world. And, and this same idea of, of what the star in Matthew 2 is proclaiming is the same uh, message 
that is our call to proclaim to the world as well. Uh, that Christ has come, that Christ is dwelling within us, and that because of that, everything is different. And we have this light that's supposed to shine out of us and reflect out of us um, and to bring about God's glory in the world, not our own, but God's glory. This is our, our calling. It's our purpose to reflect God's glory to those around us in order to illuminate the majesty of God and proclaim his kingdom. When they saw the star, Matthew tells us, they were overjoyed. Uh, May we be people who are equally overjoyed and awestruck by creation and from the majesty of God around us. And may others look at us and see joy and find a picture uh, of contentment in God and living out of his will. And may that bring others joy as they see the ways that we are living out God's purpose for us. Uh, In this season, we celebrate Christ's coming. And each Sunday, we celebrate and gather around the table to remember Christ and not only his coming, but but his life and his ministry, uh, his death and his resurrection. And just as as the star proclaimed Jesus' birth, so too in communion, we proclaim his death, Paul tells us, until he comes again. It's this, this reminder every Sunday that Christ has come, that he dwells within us, and we are anticipating his return with great anticipation to bring about the fullness of his kingdom. So uh, as the band comes back up on stage now, uh, I want to invite us to continue in song uh, as we remember Jesus, as we remember um, his, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection and as we consider this, this task that we have to proclaim the glory of God um, and the, the humbling uh, and, and awe-inspiring aspects of that. So if you would, let's stand and sing together. Uh, and then after this song, we'll share in our communion meal together this morning. So let's sing. <laughs>